Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. We've got a great show today with Craig Winslow. Craig is a projection mapping artist, and you're going to hear all about what that is and how Craig uses light to project onto real-world images and create experiences like no other. You'll learn about his year with Adobe as part of their creative residency, the path he took to kind of learn the skills needed to become a 3D designer and a projection artist, and the cross-country trip that he took with his friend to move from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon, and the art project that he created out of that trip. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsor, General Assembly. If you type in Making Ways at checkout, you'll get 15% off any class or workshop with General Assembly. They're a great organization. You can take classes anywhere across the country, even across the globe. They have a campus here in San Francisco. If you want to learn about data science or UX design, digital marketing, they have so many courses, and I really encourage you to, to check them out. Just type in General Assembly in the browser and put a dot before the L-Y, and you'll go right there. All right, let's get to the show. Craig, it is so great to have you here today. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks, Rob. Yeah, so what brings you to San Francisco this week? So I am in San Francisco for the closing of my creative residency with Adobe. Um, we're having sort of this closing reception gallery party on uh, Wednesday, and uh, I'm setting up for that. It's like the culmination of a year's worth of work, so... It's a lot of work to bring together. <laughs> and you came in from Portland, Oregon, which is where you live now. Yep. Yeah, I drove down. And so tell me about the Adobe Creative Residency. I know it's a very exclusive program, and you got in, and you've been in it for about a year. Yeah. This is the culmination, as you said. Yeah. But what is this thing? This is, uh, it's sort of been a bit of a dream job for me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a year, uh, how it works is it's a year to focus on a passion project of yours. So it's... It's fully funded by Adobe, um, salary, uh, travel, hardware, like take all the expenses or the uh, out of the way, take, give you all the resources you need to realize um, like a passion project of yours. Um, I applied to it actually two days before the deadline and uh, I just had this idea that had been in my head for the previous year and applied and, and it all sort of worked out and, and flashed to a year a year forward, I'm now looking at the end of that that intense year. So it's been an amazing experience, to say the least. For those listeners who don't know, I'd love for you to explain what projection mapping is. Yeah. Projection mapping is is basically taking a projector. Instead of going to like a movie theater and you're seeing um, a projection on a flat screen, you're taking a projector and you're, you are mapping the light that comes out of a projector to different surfaces or 3D objects. Um, so it's actually in the mapping that makes projection mapping special. Uh, but you are basically projecting, <clears throat> you are mapping surfaces in real life with digital content. So uh, once you start to get into this medium, you get to realize that video no longer needs to just be on a screen. It can be on surfaces anywhere around you, which is like really magical stuff <laughs> of feeling. I want to hear how somebody gets to a place where they're doing projection mapping and 3D art. Listeners will be able to see your work and links to it, yeah. and it's really unlike anything I've seen before. So I'd love to hear how you, how you got to that place. I mean, um, just starting at the beginning in terms of, of growing up, um, were you encouraged to pursue creativity as a, as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was always like a creative child, I guess. My parents definitely encouraged me to explore and test all these different things. I, I got into 
teaching myself Photoshop and and like Illustrator, just kind of messing around with these different programs. Um, I made a lot of weird videos with my friends as a kid. I played around outside in the woods and would build forts with my sister. Like I was always kind of creating things as I was growing up. Um, and I think it just, I keep thinking of it as a rabbit hole that I'm doing one thing and then I kind of get interested in another. Um, and I'll like explore that, like stop motion video. Um, I'd, I'd make a video and then want to like add cool titles or graphics to it. Then I'd have to figure out how to do that, you know? Um, so it's definitely this feeling of, doing one thing that leads to another and staying curious and, and trying to push yourself over time. Um, and I think that's what led me down the path of getting interested in projection mapping. Cause I've seen like, if you Google projection mapping buildings, like it's been, I'm pretty sure it started in Europe. Like I'd see all these big projections on massive, massive buildings um, that are just breathtaking and people doing these large scale projections. And I didn't have access to large projectors at the time. I was working at a design studio in Vermont where I worked for a few years and I had been doing industrial design at that point and designing um, footwear actually and shoes from the ground up. Um, and I actually started small with projection. I took uh, a small LED projector and set up a, a pair of white shoes and a pedestal and I projection mapped the shoes because it was kind of small as a good kind of test concept for me to figure out projection mapping, figure out new software, figure out how to actually do this stuff. Um, and then I filmed it and made it like a nice little video that would stand on its own and presented it to the design studio, JDK, I was working at. Um, and then also posted it online and then a blot like Gizmodo picked it up and not caught and it got some traction, which was very satisfying for me. Like, oh, I made a thing and some people are liking it. And that became sort of the catalyst for me to kind of go out on my own and want to learn more. And um, But I knew the, the, the fastest way I could learn more and do more would be to leave my studio job and to start working independently, which has had its own struggles and, and all, all of that. But, um, but if I, if I stayed working at a studio, then I wouldn't be able to dive into spend about that amount of time on this new, like definite passion of mine, which was very clear to me of like, Oh, like I, you, I turn a projector on and feel giddy still. Tell me a little bit about light capsules and that's the project you've been working on all this year with Adobe. Yep. So yeah. tell me about that. And I know there's a lot of history and, and explain kind of ghost signs to people as well. Yeah, sure. So my residency project with Adobe this year is called Light Capsules. Uh, it, it, it sort of takes the, the words of, of like time capsules made of light. Um, what I've been doing is projection mapping on ghost signs around the world, really. Um, and and what, what's a yeah ghost sign? Ghost sign, yeah. So ghost signs are like, you'll see them all over. They're, they're worn worn type or worn signs, worn ads that are really faded. They're on the sides of mostly brick buildings or, or old structures where this is pre-vinyl printing, pre, you know, even pre-neon signs and actual physical signage. And the most kind of cost-effective, the only way to really do this was to, was to paint signs and, and things on walls. Um, what I love now is you can see these worn remnants of, of time, basically, like history, that at the time it, you don't, it's more expensive to paint over it, so you kind of just like leave it there. And and a lot of these have multiple layers that have been exposed because over time these walls get worn and and the uh, actual ink that was used was like lead or <laughs> something that is actually it, that penetrates into the surface of the wall and has lasted longer because of that. Um, so anyway, there's this this I just started seeing them after I did this Kickstarter project. Um, uh, I, I saw one of these and it just kind of clicked with me that 
like I could projection map these and show layers of history come back to life. Um, and you can actually just look at the wall and see these previous layers um, light up and, and be really crisp again of how they were painted originally, just using light and augmenting that wall itself. How much of it is that kind of history digging and research in the, uh, like in the lead up to actually executing on it? So most of these signs, I'll do some level of historical research too. Uh, there was one sign in Cincinnati, Sam Caldwell, who was actually a, a sign painter. It's right downtown Cincinnati. And I, I found out that the person that actually painted that sign wasn't Sam, but one of his apprentices, Chuck Kiger. And I found through a random Flickr photo, I think, from years and years ago, um, Dale Kiger, which is his son, and through this further rabbit hole, um, I found him on Twitter and reached out and was like, hey, are you familiar with this sign? And he was like, yes, that's my, my father's last remaining sign that still exists. And he was a sign painter for years and years in Cincinnati. And uh, there's like this nice little Twitter back and forth of um, realizing like me sharing that project with him, which was a direct personal connection. And his father had passed away, I think, two years prior. But it was this amazing realization that I had this personal connection and had brought this wall back to life as it was freshly painted like years and years ago. So things like that are really, really rewarding um, through doing this project is finding the personal connection to either the companies or the people that actually painted these um, and trying to find like the, the story there because that's like really, really compelling to me. It's not just like, oh, that's a wall and I'm like making it look flashy again, but actually telling the story of, of what happened with this wall and why is this significant and that sense of place and... Um, that's really compelling to me. Uh, so I'd love to hear about how you came up with this idea and how ghost signs kind of came into your consciousness. And so you mentioned earlier this Kickstarter, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about Projecting West and what brought you yeah. from the East Coast out West and, and wanted to make a uh, an art project out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I've just always wanted to drive across the country, um, coast to coast, so that was been in my mind for a while. Um, I'm originally from just outside of Portland, Maine, um, and deciding I wanted to move to Portland, Oregon, I wanted to do some sort of project with it. I wanted to drive across. I, I know so many people have done like photo blogs or, or something with road trips or video, and being my skill was in projection mapping, I wanted to do something with that. Um, and the idea came about to do impulse projections along the way and figuring out how long that would take. Um, a close friend of mine, Mike Ackerman, wanted to bring him along to, to help with the project. And I know he could do illustrations or, or animations along the way. Um, it just, it didn't know, I didn't know how to fund that sort of thing. And then I had sort of a clarifying moment where I was like, well, I could, I could do a Kickstarter, like people do Kickstarters. Um, and I wanted to do something where I drove across the country and uh, Mike and I made a, a narrative that unfolded like live along the way. It was all very impulsive. All the, the stops we stopped in were all kind of preconceived what city we'd be in, but not specific location. And like I mentioned, logistics are a huge part of figuring out these projections. So how could I optimize my like mobile projection setup? And I, I like with, with the funds we raised on Kickstarter, I got like a generator and more gear and, and rented a nice camera. And, um, for 15 days, every single day we drove, we stopped at a spot, we, we found a location, we made content, projected it, um, filmed it, edited it, shared it with our backers, um, every single day. And it was very ambitious. And like, we, we like halfway through, we kind of like crashed and missed a day. And then we like saved ourselves two days. Um, but it was just this amazing journey where we, uh, 
traveled from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon, and we projected on things. And we told the story um, of us sort of reflecting on um, moving away from friends and family for the pursuit of career and how could we reflect our feelings and thoughts of going through that struggle um, in this like 15 part story that was like every single day we had to make a thing. Um, so it was a very big challenge for us. And were um, you creating that day for, for the projection or had yeah, you, had yeah. you planned out in advance what you thought you might do in each city? Um, if we had some time to do something the day before or no, the tough thing is we would drive, you know, six hours cause it's a proper road trip. Like we would be driving a bunch. We'd find the location, scope it out and then quickly brainstorm like, okay, here's what we want to do. Um, uh, Mike would work on these little animations of the characters, this little guy, little buddy is what we call them. Um, but we'd be like, okay, what, what's little buddy doing today? Like he's in this setting or this location. Um, he is kind of struggling with what he, like why he's on this trip in the first place or trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life or something. Like how do we translate that into this light installation? Um, Mike would make that content. I would make content for whatever the scenery or the, the, the space is. And then we would project that and then edit it. It was all in like one day and it was pretty much like we didn't finish until three or 4 AM each night, like every single night pretty much. So it definitely wasn't like a one thing a day. It was like, okay, in the early morning and then we'd sleep for a few hours and then get up and get ready to get on the road to our next location. So I think there's something interesting about that philosophy because you basically, you were very, very ambitious about the project um, and you wanted to go just whole hog, completely mm. dive into it. Yeah. Do you actually like that approach of just going full blast and then learning what you can't do or what should what you should do differently yeah. versus kind of doing things a little bit more piece by piece. I think there's something yeah. really interesting in that approach. Yeah. And I think what was really great was by the end of it, we had 15 different videos or different installations and you were able to see like, Oh, we really love day nine or like day five. We really dropped the ball or we could have done something differently or it, but it's a really good, I think, pressure to say like, okay, here's, these were all done in like one day or here you can only do so much in that amount of time, which I think the limitation forces you to think more creatively in different ways. Um, and actually now that I think of it, I think what inspired like day six with this light capsules thing, like we, we were in Omaha, Nebraska and the limitation of like not knowing exactly what to do. We turned and saw one of these big black and white wall ads, this old ghost sign, um, except it had been repainted. So it was really crisp and it was black and white. Um, and I saw it and immediately I was like, Oh, I could vectorize that really quickly and I could animate it. And like, that could be part of this installation somehow. I love that, that the creative pressure, um, exerted so much force that you had to think, um, think really differently <laughs> and think like really quickly. And in that crunch, in that stress, yeah. you saw this thing, like you said, that was right in front of you and now has inspired a year's worth of, yeah. of work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it feels, that feels like an animal attack or like a primal sense of like you're being held down and you have that one defense mechanism to like lash out. But I don't know if that's just me, how I deal with stress sometimes is I'll just like to try and solve a creative problem. I'll just either do something completely different, which, or add another project to my list. Cause it's just this random thing, this thing that comes to mind. But then that random moment of stress to create a new project that might become like an entire concept for another project. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about our sponsor, General Assembly. General Assembly is all about giving you the tools you need to pursue a career that you'll love. 
They've got campuses all across the globe, and you can take courses in learning about code, development, UX design, digital marketing, data science. They even help you create a network so that once you take these classes, you'll know people in these industries and get to have conversations and make your way into a new job or career. We've got a really special offer for any Making Ways listeners. If you want to try a class or a workshop at General Assembly, just type in Making Ways at checkout and you'll get 15% off. So type in General Assembly in the browser, put a dot before the L-Y, and you'll go right there. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the show. So I want to talk a little bit about your skills and how you actually built up these technical skills. And you talked about working at JDK in Burlington, but let's rewind a little bit before that. And I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you were up to in high school and then college. And I read that you actually were teaching yourself graphic design in high school, so much so that you ended up basically co-teaching a class (laughs) with uh, like in your high school. So tell me a little bit about, about that. Yeah. I mean, I think even just through middle school, I was just like sketching and drawing all the time. Um, I think the, our notebooks, which you usually keep track of different, you know, due dates for things I turned into grids of comics and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was kind of teaching, just being kind of natural with learning these different programs and not feeling too scared to try something or try some different filter in Photoshop and see what happens with that. And as a result of getting comfortable in those programs, when I was in a multimedia class in high school, it was very common that the teacher would kind of ask me questions about different things or be like, oh, how do you know how to do this or or um, figure something out, especially when a new version of software would come out. There's new features and new things that you just have to kind of tinker and figure out. And it's a lot easier to just try something than to read a tutorial, or at least for me, is instead of reading a manual, I'd rather just like test it out and, and learn by making mistakes or, you know, getting comfortable with it naturally. I also had like this, this kind of self-driven project when I was in high school, um, kind of made my own class. Uh, I forget exactly what I'd called it, but it was um, making this little board game, like digital version of a board game related to a book. And um, I think through, through high school, I knew I wanted to do something creative. I, I took a lot, all the art classes I could and, and knew that was the, the route I wanted to go, but I didn't know how to make design a career at that point. Or if it was just, I become an artist and I just make things and then try and sell that. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't know about the business side of being a designer at that point. Um, and so, then, yeah, did something happen in, in high school that kind of turned you on to the, the opportunities out there or did that not come until later? I don't, I think it came later, but I knew I just sort of had this, this trust. And I guess my parents had trust in me that I would kind of figure it out, <laughs> but to, to just keep focusing on that, like doing those creative things would lead to some maybe job at some big company where I'd be a designer at a company sort of thing. Um, so that was sort of the goal leaving high school and going to college. I actually, I took a workshop at, um, to, to make 3d art cause I wanted to learn 3d. I was grew up a video gamer. Like I love playing games and, and, and exploring these 3d worlds. And, uh, I think it almost became a challenge for my parents who were just saying like, you know, you spent all this time making, like playing these games, like you should make them. And that was almost like a challenge of like, you know what? I will, I'm going to do that. Um, so I took some 3d classes and, and played around in Maya and 3ds max. And is this in college or in high school? This is in like high school, like summer. I would take like a couple classes just to, just to test the waters to be like, is actually making these games, would that be something I'm interested in? Um, 
And I think that's what inspired me to actually, I went to Champlain College in Vermont because they had a good uh, video game program. Um, so that was the original plan was like, I'm going to go like make video games. Um, and it was a combination of sort of missing the deadline for applying just to that and also realizing I wanted to, I still liked doing more general design things, but not knowing what I really wanted to do. So I went to school for multimedia and graphic design. Um, that was my official major, but I actually took all of the 3D classes I could and made this faux double major. Um, and by the end of college, I actually had, um, I took both of the, the portfolio classes. Usually you just take one for your major. I took one for the 3D art and animation and also one for my graphic design thing. So I'd, I had sort of a portfolio that was very much design and 3D centric, but with no cohesive mix of like, is this guy trying to get a job in the video game industry or is he trying to be a graphic design something? Um, and what I ended up doing was I got an internship at JDK Design in Burlington and I was working on um, digital production side of things for Burton Snowboards um, and I was working quickly working with different clients. Um, Xbox was a big client of theirs, um, working on their avatars and, and different things. So it became this, once they realized, they well, they had an industrial design team and I didn't, I didn't even know what industrial design was until I realized there was a team there. And it, it kind of was a natural mix of industrial design mixing the 3D knowledge I had and the, the visualizing and rendering. I really liked rendering things really nicely and presentation um, and all of my kind of other graphic design knowledge. And, and they brought me upstairs on for another internship on an industrial design team and then they hired me full time. And that sort of set off into me designing footwear and like I'd never, you know, there's entire industrial design programs you can go to. And I kind of like, like hit the ground running and learning from scratch, like designing, like sketching out footwear shoes and getting samples back and making modifications and picking materials with our trend team. And so it was like very, very, uh, happenstance that I got into that whole industry. But because I had focused on getting like amassing all of those skills that I was interested in that I actually got that job at all was having that 3d skills and knowledge to actually do that. Cause they were like, Oh, you have 3d chops. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a try here and then go the next step from that. So you talked about earlier, um, at JDK doing that projection onto a shoe. I'd love to hear about the moment when you decided to leave and go freelance and what was going through your mind at the time and what maybe those first couple of months were like, because that project did get you a, a bunch of attention, uh, great attention. And it kind of powered you up to, to take that leap. But, but walk me through that a bit. Yeah, that was a, a very exciting and worrying time, I guess, because it was this immense moment of getting like a little bit of internet fame and getting that sort of like excitement of like, yeah, I can like that affirmation of, yes, I made a thing. Yes. Other people like it. And I think I can do this. Like there's enough excitement around it. So, um, but the, the real trick was figuring out, okay, if I left this job, then like, what am I actually going to do? And, and I think the defining moment for me was, um, because of that blog feature and, and because of that, actually that Gizmodo post really, I was talking with a few companies that were interested in doing some sort of shoe projection concept. Um, and a month later, I actually had my first, um, like actually while I was still at JDK, I had my first um, installation in, in New York City, in Soho. And I did an installation for a, a shoe brand called Bucket Feet. They're based in Chicago. And it worked, it, it, was, it was amazing and had a different challenges to it. So it was very, very quick. You know, a month later I was doing this project and then I think it just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks when I realized like, oh wait, I don't 
have anything lined up now. Like I didn't, I wasn't working on getting other leads or other contacts going. It was just like, cool, I'm focusing on this one project. That first year was a, such a struggle to figure out like, how do I, how do I get clients? Like, how do I do work that people want to pay me for, I guess? Um, and, and try and navigate that. Um, but I really started to get into the groove of reaching out to more people and finding, I guess you would call it leads or like getting more projects in the pipeline coming down. Um, but it wasn't until like two years in and then hit the three year mark where I was like, I did a installation for like a product launch in San Francisco and I was doing like holiday parties and realizing I could do like events and things that would, I could augment a physical space so I can add a lot to any sort of special event really. Um, and tried to find these like little niches of where I could find myself useful um, and as I was hitting my stride and really hit some momentum was when this residency kind of lined up. So now you're at this moment where the residency is, is ending yep. and you're going to have a lot of opportunity ahead. Where, what direction do you want to go in? Yeah, it's, I've, this past year I've made so many connections and have these just numerous kind of opportunities or, or opportunities to make opportunities, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a lot of doors, doors open. <clears throat> tons of doors, yeah. So I think the tricky thing now is being very selective and, and like, I don't know, honest with myself about what doors I want to focus on or go down because there's only so much time in the day and and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways I can focus on extending light capsules as a project and I actually already have things in the works with um, the Neon Museum in Vegas, which I, I did a few of their neon signs and they're excited to do like a full on audiovisual experience. Um, so in actually the first week of May, I'm going down to sort of talk with them and scout that out. Um, but also figure out ways that I could do kind of new projects and not just get pigeonholed into just go signage because I love, I mean, exploring VR things, um, AR, any sort of new technology, my sort of thing I guess you could say is to take a new technology and make something with it or make something ideally meaningful with it and try and dive into like what what would this new technology really be used for beyond like here's a tech demo sort of thing um, but I still really love projection because it's it's not something you have to wear or convince something to put on or 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 teach them how to use it it's just it's happening I'm really, really excited to see where you go next, Craig. Thanks. So uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. This has been really great. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to, to be on this thing and be part of it for sure. Excellent. Thanks, yeah. Craig. Thanks so much. All right. That was the show. Thanks so much to Craig Winslow. Craig, I uh, really loved having you on the show and learned so much. And I hope all of you did too. If you're interested in learning more about Craig, go to his website. It's just craigwinslow.com. And follow him on Instagram. He's always posting about his projects and what he's working on and inspiration. And he's on Instagram at Craig Winslow. Thanks to our sponsor, General Assembly, a wonderful organization dedicated to giving you the tools you need to pursue a career that you'll love. Type in Making Ways at checkout and you'll get 15% off of any class or workshop. Check it out and let me know what you think. They're at General Assembly in the browser and just put a dot before the LY you'll go right there. Big thanks to friends and family and listeners out there. Uh, your support has been incredible. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. It's a really great way for people to learn about the show. And with each episode of Making Ways, I'm actually writing stories that go beyond the episode. So check out our website, makingways.co. We're also on Medium 
at medium.com backslash making ways. Let me know what you think. And of course, there's illustrations on the site as well for each of our guests. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music in there by Jim Heffernan as well. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Making underscore Ways. And have a great week.